Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Matt, will give you the last word. <laughs> you have to forgive me. I'm still reeling from the fact that I'll never be able to see uh, the letter I without seeing a phallic symbol. <laughs> Thanks to Virginia Woolf and Jonathan Toddy, Father Toddy. I, I think that when it comes to marginalization, you know, you can talk about workers, like you were saying. You can talk about all all these different groups. In, in, in the context, I think that we find ourselves in now, part of that marginalization or marginalized group has a lot to do with uh, different sexual orientations. And I think that a lot of us don't know how to navigate some of these issues. You know, as an Orthodox Christian, you go to the liturgy, you hear a homily that's always on the gospel passage. You're getting great teaching, you know, exposition and things like that on the passage of scripture. But there's not really a forum a lot of times to ask difficult questions or to, or to get guidance on certain issues. And you know, I don't know if this class is going to deal with that particular uh, issue, although when it comes to marginalization, I, I would think that that would need to be a part of the conversation at some point. And like you said, the conversation never ends. I think that one of the blessings for me as a as a hospice chaplain is I get to do, you know, what you were describing. My favorite part of the job is, is I don't have to show up for these visits. You know, the people are on hospice and provide answers. I visit all sorts of different people from all sorts of different socioeconomic, racial, political, faith backgrounds, all kind of different people. And I can just go and listen. Like that's my job is to go and ask people uh, open-ended questions to, you know, what God do you not believe in, you know, and let them talk about that and say, oh, I don't believe in that God either, you know, Uh, and just keep the conversation going. But to, to learn from other people, I think it was Kevin Van Hooser who said something a long time ago, something along the lines of humility is the entry point into theology. And I always like that. The problem for me, though, when we're talking about solidarity, is that this gets really complicated, you know, because there's a lot of Christianity that's basically propaganda or ideology or right wing, you know, ideology and things like that, that I don't, I don't stand in solidarity with much of what, you know, of Christendom or what a lot of different Christian people think is the gospel or is Christianity. And so these things get really complicated. That's why I really appreciate um, having friends like you guys or forging plowshares where you can, you can get together with some people who might be like-minded or dissident or whatever you want to call, you know, people who might be coming from a little bit of a different angle, because it's really hard to stand in solidarity with what we normally think of Christianity when that's become the powers that's become the, you know, the principalities in a lot of ways. That's, you know, these are the people who have been institutionalizing slavery and for-profit prisons and the, you know, the oppression of the working classes. And, you know, a lot of these people were good church going Christians. So it's really difficult to stand in solidarity with, with that. I think that that adds like a layer of complexity to what that might look like, but I'm interested to know, you know, and to have a guide or um, when it comes to some of these issues. I don't know how, you know, with, with transgenderism or something like this, I don't know how to, it's not like the, my priest is like, you know, giving that to me from the pulpit or even really doing any classes on it or anything like that, because it's such a difficult issue. Um, that I think that a lot of people that, that do these classes, forging plowshares and the Bible Institute and things like that are people who are teachers, who are ministers, they're missionaries, they're doing all this different stuff. Even they, you know, we don't have the best handle on some of these really difficult issues 
of especially when it comes to marginalized marginalized people. And so I'm wondering if in the class, you know, there'll be room to maybe have some of those difficult discussions and maybe that it's not that we come out sort of on one side or the other. And I don't think that's the point, but maybe the point is, is to learn how to have that conversation, to learn how to listen, to learn how to learn from someone who you might not have thought that they could teach you something, but maybe they can teach you something about, you know, yourself and about who God is. And so I'm looking forward to, to just listening in just like I did today, if, if for nothing else, um, you know, because I think that it's, there's, these are difficult times. As you guys know, there's a lot of uh, really hard issues and, and stuff to navigate that for regular people who are out here doing ministry, it, it can just become really perplexing. And and maybe the best thing that we can do is to just listen and to love and just, you know, we, it's not, it's, it almost seems like it doesn't do anything. Like if I do a spiritual care visit and I just sit there and I just ask questions and let them talk, sometimes I leave and think like, well, what am I, you know, what, what am I doing? But they always seem to feel better. You know, they, they always, they always seem to feel better. I think that someone's listening to them. I think that people don't feel like anyone really cares to, to listen, you know, and to really understand like where they're coming from and not to try to argue or give answers or anything like that, but just to explore the way I look at it is Christ in them. We have a lot to learn from people that, that we might look down on or that we might um, marginalize ourselves because it's easy to come into a class like this and think about that we're talking about someone else. But really, the history of Christianity teaches us that in a lot of ways, we've been the ones doing the marginalization of the other. And so we've got to we've got to get our own house in order. So um, I think a class like this could really go a long way to to help us figure out our way through some of these difficult issues. Yeah, we will uh, at least have one class where we specifically talk about gender and sexuality. Conversation will be open ended to whatever questions get brought up. I liked something you said. It's hard to stand in solidarity with basically, you mentioned ideologies that you wouldn't want to be associated with. I would just say, well, you can't stand in solidarity with any ideology. Like the point is we learn to stand in solidarity with people, right? And so that's what happens, I think, for these hard issues. Begin to ask yourself, when are you in spaces where you're around folks who are LGBTQ? And if the answer is never or not very often, well, then I would say that's a good place to start gaining some understanding. Because it's one thing to have the conversation uh, while people are absent, but that's right. Practice to have that conversation with folks from communities that we don't understand. And that must mean something. That's a great point. You know, that. If they they told us in our uh, well, actually, I think David Belly Hart said this. You know, he was talking about the problem of evil, and this really hit home to me as a chaplain. Um, he said basically, if you wouldn't say it to someone who's suffering, you probably shouldn't even think it. You know, it's probably wrong. You know, so if we can't have a conversation, you know, with someone who's LGBTQ right here with us or transgender or whatever, and have that conversation in a way that they don't feel loved or the love of Christ or understanding or compassion or sympathy or empathy or whatever, we're probably doing it wrong, I would guess. Yeah. And I would say one of the best experiences that I've had in ministry is, well, full disclosure for everybody listening. Uh, As an Episcopal priest, I'm in a denomination that is open and affirming, supports same-sex marriage and the dignity of life for trans people, queer people, lesbian, gay, anybody on the LGBTQ plus um, spectrum. 
And in my current context in Galveston, I have a sizable LGBTQ community within the parish. And it's been a wonderful opportunity to be Christian in a space that is much more undefined and broad than uh, some folks would like it to be. I had a conversation with people, Paul, this wasn't this class, this was last fall, I was teaching on moral theology, and I had a class where I was, I had probably two or three veterans, definitely at least one uh, Marxist socialist sort of retired literary professor, and then some more normal people, and I just threw out the question, should Christians, uh, should Christians join the military? Can Christians support violence, uh, even if it's for the defense of the nation? We had a great conversation, and wouldn't you know, like there were people in the room that disagreed with one another, but we had a great conversation, and I think sometimes that's the best that we can hope for. It is interesting. We all want to have hard and fast answers, but all of our knowledge is revisable, right? We're growing, learning. Um, what we know is only what we as our finite selves are able to comprehend in the time and space we've been allotted. Uh, not that I, this is where I would say it's not that I don't think there aren't final answers. I do think there are. Uh, I actually think that's the pattern of human thought is to move from potency to act. Uh, act being the unchangeable sort of essential notion of something. A true judgment, as it were. But I'm less confident in our ability as creatures to do that uh, often for these issues that are so large and involve other people. I do want to learn from I think that you're absolutely right in everything that you said that you got to you got to sit, you got to listen even if it's to Trump, you know, to Trumpers and stuff like that and you got to kind of learn, you know, where they're coming from and um but you know and, and even with like the transgender stuff it's like I have legitimate questions that I don't understand and so to even sometimes to even raise the question can be like like a faux pas or whatever. But I would have, you know, questions about mental health just because I'm I'm coming from it from a standpoint of like, I really don't know. You know, I don't I don't know how to handle it. It's just like what we did with the ufology conversation. It was like, OK, Ambrose, tell us what you're doing. You know, tell us what you're thinking. You know, and we sat there and we kind of listened and it was like a really cool conversation, you know. Um, but I would be, you know, with that, I would say like, well, are you are you saying that you're not your body? Is that really is that you know what I mean? Is that so? And if that is what you're saying then there's an underlying anthropology there that would be a, a like a really cool conversation to have with like an intellectual transgender person to try to understand um where they're coming at this you know theologically philosophically you know anthropologically and things like that just to just to learn more about like to their account of what it means to be human also i hear express that concern who it's elderly people oh really feeling like they're not their body yeah you know think about that yeah that's a good point i mean think about um you know someone who's uh quadriplegic they, they don't have the use of their you know their body they they, they you know or, or people i work with people all the time who are just like bed bound i mean people who for just months and months just lay in their bed they have to be changed they, they can't hardly even speak um you know people with like advanced parkinson's and things like that i do think that we're we, we must be more than our bodies i mean that's right I think um, this is where we get into our long-standing debate here, where I always feel the need to defend David Bentley Hart. But body doesn't mean your your current physical state. You know, body's a, a term that means more than that or something else than just your current physical state. 
But I mean, by like, you know, your, your physical state changes mm-hmm. actually in ways that are imperceptible to us constantly. Right. right? It's like we're biologically not the same as we were seven years ago. We're different. We're a different body, right? Because of the cellular. Well, know, the- we're a different physical state. I, so I would say, um, you know, you could, I could lose my limbs and I wouldn't be less embodied. You're not more embodied when you're, you're fully grown than when you're a child. Uh, I think embodiment's referring to some other things that don't see. This is the whole picture thinking thing. I think that what happens is when we use this language and enter into these sorts of discussions, what we think we mean when we say body is that thing you can see. But the the history of the conversation about like what does body, what does being embodied mean, is not just being that thing that you can see. <laughs> In other words, like. Um, we've talked about this, spiritual bodies. Like, what if it's not material at all? Or, or you'd have to think of spirit, whatever the spirit is, is that substance of spirit is uh, a material thing. I don't know if it is or not. I don't know how to have that conversation exactly, but you're not less embodied. Embodied means you are you and not me, and I can find you someplace. That you you're grow and change, you have a life, uh, a temporal life a creaturely life and so the physical state bit of that and so yeah. i'm not sure that even the gender reassignment surgeries are necessarily anti-embodiment mm-hmm. but you definitely have some issue going on whether it's right uh, and true or wrong and false you there's some issue going on where you're not comfortable or can't accept your material state that your your body's currently in that form the form of yeah i'm like you man i'm looking for answers here but i i'm suspicious that a lot of the gender altering operations that people undergo in fact are not life-saving yeah i'm suspicious that they're in fact damaging i i can only make that argument i guess on the basis of a theological understanding it's curious like i'm again personally like i think uh it's egotistical and a waste of money to even have just like say say you want like a breast augmentation or you want a butt lift or something like that you know i have similar reservations about that but you know nobody's going to have a conversation about that in the same way you would with gender reassignment and I wonder, what is the real difference? It seems to be all of the same issues in play. You're not happy with the way you look. You don't feel like you. You want something to change. And so you're willing to undergo surgery to make that happen. I have a lot of reservations overall <laughs> about doing yeah. that. Yeah. But well, what about I, when it comes to something like, uh, you know, Elon Musk is working on Neuralink, you know, which would yeah. be like a surgical enhancement uh you know where you're you're able to access you know whatever the internet um he talks about getting rid of the medium of the thumbs and things like that that the problem is is like the download and upload speed because you have to type it in or you have to say it into the phone or whatever and so he wants to bypass that and have a neural link network um that would basically be it would function like an enhancement for the elite i'm sure because it would be ridiculously expensive and so the people who would have the neural link enhancement would be vastly you know in some ways 
um, technologically, you know, way out in front of everybody else. You know, I think that in the, a lot of times this comes down to basic economics for people who, for women, for instance, who want to get, you know, breast augmentations and things like that. And they, you know, but, but it's something different though. And, and I think that, you know, there was the guy, Johns Hopkins who said, yeah, it's mental health. It's a mental health issue. And they just, they just fired him. I think, I don't think he holds that position. Anymore. And, and, that, and that would be my question. Why don't we think you wanting breast implants is uh, not you, but you know, why don't we think the woman who needs needs breast implants to feel beautiful also has a mental health issue. Yeah, I mean... So my knee-jerk reaction is to actually go that way. I mean, couldn't you say the same about tattoos, piercings? I mean, things like that. It's like you're... I don't, I don't know. Think, uh, so we're, the question is, where would you draw the line? Is it just where I'm uncomfortable? And I'm afraid that's how we kind of have this conversation at a stupid level, where it's just everybody drawing the line where they're uncomfortable. Uh, and that there's not any real reasoning. I've never heard of anybody. See, like, I know I'm not uncomfortable with tattoos, uh, but I think co- actually the whole cosmetic industry is really bad for the planet. Mm-hmm. If you look into it. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's bad for your health and all the other stuff. But uh, I don't hear people talk about tattoos in the same way, but that would be to just kind of do a phenom- phenomenological assessment of the experience of getting a tattoo versus getting breast implants well it's, it's identity though too right it's an identity i mean whenever people get tattoos and stuff it's like a part of the who they are it's an identity uh thing you know um it's it's telling the story or whatever and paul's done the the piece on the you know like the rep you know the whatever it is the reptile man or and i think that, that guy might have just died I, I think but is there a difference between castrating yourself and getting a butt lift i would guess so i mean it's it's just such a tough it's just such a tough issue but depends um, on the question you ask what difference is there like there's obviously differences but yeah if your question is just about you feeling comfortable in your own skin you know yeah because i mean part of the task of the of christianity is to is to wholeness and to wellness and and, and that could mean saying to someone like you know, you got to stop using heroin, you know, or, you know, you got to, you know, stop this or do that. Or there's these practices that come along with it, you know, or ascetic practices. But I feel bad that, you know, that I hope that we don't find ourselves in a situation where we're kind of pushed into because of the cultural pressures and things like that to basically reinforcing theologically someone's mental illness or aiding that, you know, sort of helping them along the path of like destroying themselves or it maybe it's cliche or whatever. It can't be cliche if our Lord Jesus Christ said it, but he said, you know, male and male and female, God created them. Did Jesus not have an understanding, you know, of uh, gender complexity? Uh, Of course, of course. uh, Well, first off, don't use the Bible that way. In other words, the Bible, Jesus is, Whatever Jesus is saying there, it's not at the level of theory. So to conflate sort of a common sense discussion that is contextual to his time and theory is how you get bad readings of the Bible on any subject. I mean, somebody would just say, well, Paul says there's no male or female. <laughs> okay, well, I don't think that's what he meant either, though. Do you understand what I mean by that or not? I do. No, I do. I do. But what you know, what what is he saying there? Um, that's good. See, you asked a question. So that that's really my only point is I don't like it when people on any issue say, well, the Bible obviously says. No, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. You've made some judgment based on a lot of other things about what the Bible's saying and then expanded it to the realm of theory. So right. it's a cop out to be like, well, the Bible just says. Right, right, sure. Um, yeah. That was Billy Graham's favorite line. The What's Bible that? says. Yeah, the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> no, it doesn't say anything. 
you're in turn you say but yeah. uh that's <laughs> yeah uh, no it doesn't say anything <laughs> the bible doesn't say anything you do i mean the, the, yeah. the issue though is is that you know on the on the ground level it's it's more than like the theory like you were saying whenever you're dealing with people with these issues um who are suicidal in indianapolis and the the episcopal parish there they had a i forget what they called it but it was basically like a home for there was a lot of homeless you know transgender youth um in indianapolis who are uh you know it was something crazy like five to ten times more likely to be victims of violence and and of suicide um the episcopal church there built like a place for them to live and to be able to go to you know go to work and have a community and stuff like that and man i guess on some level you got to say that's good because the only other option is to i guess do the whole well, we have to convince you you know we have to convert you or whatever to well trans you know. so here's the other trans does not necessarily mean gender reassignment surgery right it's like well that's another that's another question of like where do you draw the line and all i can say honestly is i know what i'm uncomfortable with Mm -hmm. and as i already told you i'm really uncomfortable with people chopping off body parts absolutely but i'm equally uncomfortable with the cosmetic plastic surgery i think they're probably both sinful if you want to know my personal opinion but flip side like okay so some boy wants to grow his hair out long and wear makeup I mean, it is what Paul was saying earlier, like those things are just so culturally superficial. Mm-hmm. Does the question become, well, it depends on his sex life? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, well, because it becomes it becomes an issue where it's like, okay, the, the church has done this thing where we said, okay, we're going to protect the unborn. We don't care as much once they're actually born what happens, but we want to make sure that they're actually born. But then... You know, you can do a, a similar thing with with this issue. the 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 thing that's kind of um, kind of like the sticking point is that at some point we might have to like actually stand up for children whose parents are saying, "Oh, you know, you're five years old, and you you know you're a boy, and you want to be a girl, and you know you can't determine your bedtime, you can't vote, you can't drink, you can't choose your meals, you can't make your meals, but you can decide that you want to become a girl. And so we're going to make that possible and we're going to have this surgery and we're, you know, for the rest of your life, like you're going to lose your, your penis, you know, you're not going to have, you know, it's, it's a, it's an irreversible thing. As far as I know, part of what it means, I think to be Christian then is to, you know, social context like this is to say, well, wait a minute, this might be like insanity or whatever. You know what I mean? Like this might be, this might be insanity where this kid might grow up and be like, what happened? I don't even remember. I was five. I was six. I don't remember. I don't even know what happened, you know, but this is what happened. And now I can't go back. And it's like, well, what's the church's role and something like that to, to protect. It just seems so like shocking. Seems unethical. I know uh what like uh so i think another problem with these conversations is where we are just so prone to jumping on like the sensationalist extremes and we're worried about slippery slopes so what lgbtq people might say to you is okay yeah maybe that is insane you might even have trans people tell you that's nuts but please don't use that story Mm -hmm. to erase all of our stories right and that's fair. I mean, that's a fair, you got to listen to that. You know, if we went off of all the insane Christian stuff that, you know, um, you know, you're right. You know, we can't use the, we can't use like the craziest examples as the, but you know, but if one, you know, if, if but if there's an evil thing happening to like one little kid, 
that's something that Christians should probably say, no, we're not, we're not going to endorse that. We're not going to say that that's okay. Um, that's evil. And you, you maybe you should even be like put in jail or something like that. You know what I mean? It's like irresponsible. Um, or, or, or like what, I'm just going to say like, what role, you know, did the parent have in that, in that whole process? Like, you know, it's, if someone's only six years old, it's like your, your identity, I mean, I know for me, it's like, I didn't, when I was six or seven or eight or nine or 10 or whatever, it's like, you're, you're a little kid. You don't know, you know, to make a decision like that or to have your parents say, well, you know, you used to like to play with dolls and you like the color pink and whatever. And so this is what you wanted. And it seems nuts. It seems nuts. Yeah. Uh, I, I think this is a part of the same discussion we were having earlier about culture. And I know I did this already. I think I said LGBTQ community. There's a real danger in even that language because honestly it's pro- there's there is no such thing as yeah, like, the LGBTQ community there's, there's no like, monolithic it's it's, it's like it's like saying the holy fathers it's yeah, like there's yeah, no monolithic yeah, holy there, there's no hinduism there is no such thing as culture or even uh, christianity probably and well uh, we should hope not but i think what ends up happening is we speak that way to normalize whatever our behavior is to overlook our own this is why i, I think spirituality is actually the only like christian mysticism is the only solution to how do you get through this stuff because that's the only strategy that i know of a way of life that i know of that is uh, life affirming in every way in the sense that you are humbling yourself you're shutting you're not pretending to be able to speak about these monolithic things uh you're dealing with your own sins first and trying to live as authentically as you can and be a blessing to other people and relinquishing the control that you never had to begin with, because that's a, my sense is a part of the problem with these conversations is that both sides begin talking in these generic terms that end up hurting a lot of people that don't need to be hurt otherwise. So it's like, I'm totally with you. I think, you should not do this to a kid. I actually, I don't think adults should, I don't think doctors should consent to performing these operations. I think it's unethical. Do no harm. Do no harm is the number one rule. Exactly. That's the hip. Yeah. The Hippocratic oath or whatever. Um, at the same time, I think that to try to legislate, to try to legislate against the LGBTQ community to save one kid, which is what, I think will end up happening is what is happening in the United States is just going to hurt people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't, and this is where I think it's like, well, why are Christians in that business? Like, why mm-hmm. are we in the business uh, of trying to push an ideology through the government? And this is where I, I'm un- and I, I shared honestly as I could, like I have some pressures that make me uncomfortable because they come from backgrounds where they had to be political to survive. And I've never had that experience. I'm white, you know, I'm like as white as white can be. My grandma's into the family genealogy stuff. My family's been here for 400 years <laughs> and managed to not ever marry brown people and or Germans mm-hmm. or Italians in 400 years. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like we let yeah. the, the rare Irish person slip in there, but they were probably Protestants anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, obviously not. I've never had, I've never felt like, oh, I need to take some kind of political action to survive or for my kids to have a better life. What I like about the the thought of this class is like, it's, um, this is a, it's like a deeply humbling uh, experience, right? Which is good. This is good. This is good for us, you know, because 
I need to be reminded often that like, I don't know what I'm talking about, that I'm not, that's not my experience that to presume to be able to make these sorts of like uh, judgments with such a limited knowledge of, you know, uh, the situation and the person and the history and the psychology and all these different things. It's like, it's like one of those things where we probably really should like, this is a, this is probably why God has me as a hospice chaplain. It's like, it's, it, I need to learn how to shut up and listen like that. My, like the PhD instructor, she was great. Um, she said, if you walk out of that visit and you think to yourself, I spoke more than 20% of the time in that visit, you failed. You failed in your visit and you should know that you should walk out of there and then you should say, oh, my next visit, I can't do that again. You got to, you got to reflect and, you know, and get better as a, as a chaplain, my job is not to talk, it's to listen, you know, and that's a challenge for me. You know, I like the idea about your class to say like, okay, this is like almost an opportunity to say like, I have some stuff that's wrong for sure. And I need to become more aware of those blind spots, you know, to eliminate as many of those blind spots as I can. To say like i've been presumptuous here i've, I've overlooked this and it's not, and it's not and it's like a lack of charity you know it's a lack of love it's it's a it's a sort of arrogant presumption you know but at the end of the day it's like we don't know anything that's the human task of, of wisdom or whatever is to like understand that you really don't know anything <laughs> you know what i mean like to, to be humble and that's a challenge for me you know yeah, I've noticed this uh, recently. I've experienced this in conversations with my Methodist friends at SMU because as they're going through the split over human sexuality, what is apparent is the real reason they're splitting is that both sides think that they are making some heroic stand for the faith. Mm -hmm. that if they did not make, would somehow jeopardize their mm -hmm. witness. Mm -hmm. The truth of the matter is nobody gives a fuck what the Methodist church thinks. Right. Well, we have, and we have a guy, we have, I mean, we have a guy in the, in the last class who's going, and it's like a, it's like a really hard situation. Remember uh, Matt, you know, he, he's on, he's like a, um, on the, the board or whatever they call it there. And, you know, he's like, yeah, they're, they're like navigating that. Like they're about to have to decide, like, where do we stand? you know on this issue and are we going to go right or left or whatever and it's like a really hard thing they're really worried about hurting people's feelings and people leaving the church and and causing division and it's like this you know grueling there's no choice involved they're splitting the choice is where you know the okay. various congregants can decide where they want to be right in the split it's just it's mind-boggling and what i would say my advice to them is you all take yourselves way too seriously good grief and i'm you know i'm orthodox so like we're the worst at this you know it's like we're like we're not even having this conversation it's not even it's i guess you just can't be orthodox or something i don't know if you're if you're trained you know what i mean it's like a, it's so it's a tough situation i think for for everybody but we got to figure it out we got i mean john, because john's we, gonna we, lead us and john's gonna figure it out you know, but we, we did this with slavery that the ground will shift underneath us before anybody gets it figured out. <laughs> I mean, probably. And, you know, when, when I think about Paul's point on slavery, we, we shouldn't be arrogant or, or about this. Like we, like it could absolutely be the case that, you know, in, in a few decades or a few generations that they look back on us and say, Oh, you know, they were talking about how open they were and how, you know, this and that, but they, they were just totally wrong on that. And now we know, we know this, we know that they were just completely, they, they didn't see this. They didn't know it. They didn't understand it. They weren't evolved enough. They didn't, the theology, the groundwork hadn't been laid or whatever. And they just didn't get it in the same way that those guys didn't get slavery as an issue. The we here may be too generous. 
I was teaching this. I was doing Philemon. We had the Sunday school lesson. I was talking about the Germans. You know, I just read an article in the New York Review of Books on German genocide in Africa. That before the Holocaust, you know, they they were systematically wiping out. Well, the Belgian Congo is like, yeah. And so I was just I was mentioning this, and he said. Well, I don't want to interrupt your left-wing liberal screed here, and then went on to talk about the benefits of colonialism. (laughs) (laughs) And I got up and did the sermon on Philemon, you know, saying, I think slavery ain't right. (laughs) So I discovered, and I'm thinking about how to do this. There's a great documentary uh, about the daughter of the the commandant that is portrayed in the movie Schindler's List. His daughter did not know her father was a Nazi. Uh, well, she didn't know he was a SS Nazi until she was in like the eighth grade because he died when she was a baby, basically. Her mother hid this from her. The rest of her life, she's tried to reconcile this idea that her father was this terrible person and do something about it through education uh is grappling with the fact that just a generation ago and well from her a generation ago in germany everybody's a nazi and her thing is like where do you think these people went (laughs) like they didn't just you know like they're with us still but uh there's never been any kind of reckoning in the united states like that over slavery right and through what I, my grandmother doing this genealogical stuff and me helping her with it some, I ended, I discovered that my great-great-grandfather would have grown up with his father owning slaves in Missouri. Hmm. And not just a couple. They had over 20 slaves. They, hmm. It was like, this is a plantation, not mm-hmm. a... And I think to myself, that man, my my grandpa's grandpa would have grown up, his dad would have grown up with slaves. That's what it is. My grandfather's great-grandfather would have grown up with slaves. And uh, how do you just not talk about this? <laughs> how is yeah. it just... <laughs> which which the, the way, what that translates into is that the generation, my father's generation, were racist. Yeah. I right. mean, in as much as Germans were, were Nazis. Mm-hmm. That there's a whole generation here that they're just out and out racist. You think that just disappears? That's it doesn't guy. disappear. You never dealt with it. Uh, I farmed that land, not knowing that it had been a plantation. Wow, it's yeah, nuts. it's nuts. I mean, it blew my when I read um, you know a people's history of the United States. I was so shocked at the things that I was reading. You know, because he's telling the the story of the history from the from the perspective of the oppressed you know the people who were slaughtered and they're all doing it and then you know they're doing it in the name of jesus and the church is involved and there's a you do have a couple priests who are writing back and saying hey what's you know this isn't right you know but for the most part like we're just you know chris when it, it was when christianity arrived on these shores you know what i mean that that the indigenous population was just murdered was you know uh was wiped out it's unbelievable and like we we um we never 
that is a real fact that we just don't even, you know, like I've heard that in Germany, you can't really go that far without seeing some sort of monument, you know, to remind the people there of what happened. But here, you know, we have Confederate statues and stuff that, by the way, were constructed in the 20s to like scare people in the South and to, you know, to remember their place, you know, and that's why they came down so easy because they were like cheaply built, you know, so you could just like rip them down, you know, Um, but they were put up there to remind people that, hey, you know, don't forget, you know, your place. It's crazy to me. I was listening to um, the there's a kind of like a pretty popular, like really popular podcast from Joe Rogan, uh, the Joe Rogan experience. We had Bernie Bernie Sanders on and uh, it's like one of the more popular episodes. He's only on for like an hour, but you listen to him and it's like, man, how did Joe Biden get the Democratic nomination over this guy? Like, like this guy's like just talking about normal. He's saying we should have we should have health care. You know, we should have, I mean, you know, we, we need to reform some stuff. We need to change. And it's like that they, they, his own party said, no, you know, we are not, we do, we are not trying to hear, you know, your crazy talk, you old man, you know what I mean? Um, and, but if you listen to him, it's so rational. And he's like, he's talking about this stuff that we're talking about and saying like, we need to recognize you know, and, and make it right, you know, or whatever we need to do. Like, you know, he didn't talk about reparations in that actual episode, but um, it, we've just so forgotten our history. It's like, who are we? You know what I mean? It's like, but once you've done that, it's like, well, who, who, who are we then? You know, we've like erased it's our the, history. It's like, what is that title of Cyril O'Regan's book? Uh, misremembering, maybe. It's not that we're just forgetting, but we're misremembering. Yeah, that's right. It's You're right. That's right. It's it's propaganda. It's uh it's nationalism. It's pro- you know it's, but you have all these people who have been butchered from Howard Zinn's perspective with the people of the United States or the the people's history. He's saying it was Christians. Yeah, and Paul, that's why I guess I I've gotten to the place where I'm uncomfortable with saying the church is just an alternative experience. It's like oh the church shouldn't be political. The church because it's I mean I know why I can say that. But as Matt's saying, the problem is when the church spiritualizes in that way, they end up just being complicit in all this evil in other ways. What it means to be political is it does have to be uh, uh, consciously counter. I think that's what in my in the blog I wrote for you, I, I termed it the politics of friendship. Mm. This is, of course, what Hart has wrote, written on about orthodoxy in America, but in many ways, I don't know what Christianity. And once you've said Christianity, you said America, right? So it's like I don't. I'm I'm to the point now where you know I think probably when I first you converted to Orthodoxy, I was probably a little like precious about it, like anybody would be. And and you you get kind of like um reactionary of like oh this is what I'm converting from, and so you gotta you know kind of justify why you've made the choices that you've made and kind of look down maybe or, or however you got to do it to justify. But it's kind of always rolling in the back of my head around of like, well, I don't sometimes I don't know really what the what what the church is or what Christianity the United States is, um, because it's either become something that's so ridiculous that somebody wouldn't want to be a part of, you know, that and, and you can understand why, you know, you can understand why Quentin Tarantino or somebody would just say like, yeah, I would never I'm not going to. Why would I do that? Why would I become a Christian whenever he knows the history of slavery? He knows that. I mean, in Django Unchained, you know, he puts the Bible verses on the, you know, the 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 guy who's whipping the slaves. He has the literal Bible verses that you were quoting earlier about, you know, ham and, you know, you, you need to subjugate, subjugate the animals. And he's got the Bible verses like, you know, the pages of the Bible, like pinned to his chest, you know, and he's whipping. So it's like, why? would i can you can understand it right like from an outsider's perspective it's like 
why would they want to be a part of that? That's what they think that it is. And they're wrong, I to, you know, from our perspective. But, but you can it's see historically been what it is. But they, but they, yeah, but but historically that's been what it is. You know, that's the problem. That's probably that's why I've always gravitated to what Paul's been doing because he, I, for me at least, he was posing like a, a a real alternative. Like this was something that I thought when I first encountered it what was like heresy or something because i was a fundamentalist so i had that same viewpoint of like this is this is way left so therefore it must be heresy therefore it's not christianity therefore paul's evil therefore you know it's like (laughs) that's the way you can write you can run that down pretty quick you know he's a demon he's a whatever um but you know what i mean well that's what they've done to me they demonize they demonize people you know They, they 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 literally demonize you and say that you're you know you're evil and that you are to be shunned or, or whatever so you know because the, the purity culture that john was just talking it's like you can't be infected by the liberals you know it's like it'll 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 mess up the whole machine you know but to me it's almost kind of like a little scary or whatever because it's like when i go to church or whatever and we have these conversations it's like sometimes i'm not exactly sure you know i think that david hart has talked about how you, you kind of objected to this earlier john but that there's actually many christianities like is christianity a monolithic thing um I agree. It, yeah well but maybe we but but it should be it should be something though identifiable you know what i mean it should be something and that's what attracted me to paul's thing he was saying that no no actually the, this is something like very different it's probably going to get you into trouble and he set the example of that you know by losing his job and stuff like that and it's like what well, that's the same thing that happened to christ that's the same thing that happened to the you know the early church is that they were they were hated they were misunderstood they were outcasted they were that's why Hart says you guys wouldn't really want to do this you know you these rabble rousers he calls them you know it's like the you, you don't really want to do this thing that you think you want to do because it really is going to probably lead to the cross you know but unfortunately, we've all, we. It seems like the history of the church is we've been the one putting people on the lynching tree. We've been the people putting you know putting people on the crosses. We've been people you know, anathematizing people for not being you know um, just like us or maybe our color or our sexual orientation or whatever else. That makes me kind of um, uncomfortable. Like you were saying earlier, it, it makes me like really uncomfortable about it would be easier to just be able to identify it like with maybe like Paul Axton and just say like, well, no, that's, you know, this he's, he's giving something here. That's like a, a real alternative to like Christendom or whatever you want to call it. That is such an alternative. And it's so radical that it's stuff like democratic socialism and pacifism and universalism and all that kind of fit in yeah. to what, you know what I mean? To, to the, to this sort of radical alternative. And to, for someone like me, that's like really an attractive thing. But I think the thing that he's doing is so is very is different than like what I'm doing at the Orthodox Church, probably what you're doing at the Episcopal Church. What most Christians imagining that they're doing is like, I think in a lot of ways, deeply unchristian, you know, and they, they don't know it. And but we, you know, maybe we can look down on them and stuff like that. That's not the answer, as you've laid out in this class, in this in this lecture or this this talk, whatever. But I guess, and Paul's always said this, it's like, I, for some reason, I want it to be this pristine thing. I want it to be the, you know, I want it to be this nice sort of, um, you know, uh, almost like, well, you, yeah, this, this, it is what it is. This is, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a follower of Christ, it's like, well, here, the, you know, here's the, the Christ commandments. They're the, you know, they call them the Beatitudes, but actually these are the commandments of Christ. So if you want to join us, just like if you wanted to be a, you know, a, a Kung Fu, you know, tiger tiger claw you know master or whatever here's the stuff you got to do here's the practices you know here's the goal here's what you're trying to be 
it's so like undefined i think almost now that like what does it mean to you know to to be a christian in 2023 in this like it's fractured theologically um you know ideologically politically economically socially you know with the different sort of class distinctions and all these different things it's it's such a mess i guess and i i first i guess maybe it's the ocd in me or something in me that wants it to be like this neat thing that says well here's the discipline man if you want to be a if you want to be a kung fu master here's the here's the steps you got to take here's the discipline here's what it means it's we're nonviolent. We're, you know, we're, 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 you know, communalists or whatever you want to call it. You know, we're, we're uh, agrarian, you know, we're, we're this, then we're that. This is what it looks like. You know what I mean? And, and if you want to, if you want to do it, you can. And if you don't want to do it, that's fine too. But don't call it Christianity because it's a different discipline. It's a different thing. So, you know, it's interesting that we're going kind of in this trajectory because we uh, just did a talk with uh, Ambrose Andriano who wrote a really interesting book called Angels, Archons, and Aliens. The book is about ufology and theology. And, and, you know, he's coming from it from the perspective of like, hey, these people have been super marginalized. If you come forward that you've seen something or had an experience or whatever, that you're, you know, kicked out of your church or you're ostracized from your community. And there's other, mar- you know, that even people, it's like you can't even talk about democratic socialism, say. It's like, it, you know, they've been, we've, you know, the capitalism has marginalized that conversation and the people, you know, well, really the workers, you know, uh, the, in the workers movement. So now you're getting into economics. So to me, that's really interesting, even as a listener to Forging Plowshares or, you know, and certainly going into your class, that, that we're actually talking about wherever you stand, you know, on, you know, is there a black life on other planets or, you know, economics or gender issues. And um, I think it's really important that we're we're trying to have that conversation and not coming at it from an angle of like, you know, we have the truth and you need to tune in so that you can, you know, you can learn uh, the truth. It's like, well, we might have something to say, but we're also, uh, we're, we want to listen. We want to listen to people who are different than us and try to hopefully become more Christ-like, more human in the process. I think a good final assignment would be, you know, what are you going to do with all this stuff? How do you piece this together? Uh, what does it mean for your own life? What has challenged you? Where, you know, how are you going to change, et cetera? And then part two of the of the final assignment, you have to go hang out with the people that you have the hardest questions about. You got to go to like a rally or you got to go to a, like a parade. You got to go do something. Gotta go be around Trump people. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'll have to go to it's like a Marjorie Green Taylor. Uh, That'll rally be easy here. I'll just go join any group of people. That... Yeah, just why? <laughs> just leave your house. Just walk out of your house and start talking to someone. I mean, this might be the entry point for a lot of people, right? For some of these people, they might be like, "Whoa, you know, they're this gonna is think John's nuts." Yeah, I mean, yeah, and they're well, gonna say those Episcopalians, man. Yeah, they're just they flying off the deep end you know not you know the forging plowshares did a ufology you know an alien podcast now they're doing you know they're doing radical feminism and yeah, that's good good stuff uh, i'm looking forward to it i think it'll be a good great class appreciate you guys forging plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.